Touchdown! Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. Well, welcome back to fourth and one. Uh, I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs and. Uh, uh, rookies and quarterbacks reported to training camp today as we record this podcast, uh, Nick. So um, how excited are you getting now that, uh, you know, this is another major step on the way to playing actual games um, so that you have new game film to watch? I'm, I'm just excited to see your face again. I mean, I, obviously I've seen it in the past couple of weeks, but I'm just excited to, to hear to hear your tones on the microphone again and to see your face. Yeah, it's been a, I'm going to call it a rough few weeks. Um, um, for those who don't know, we were, uh, I had a family emergency. Um, my mom landed in the hospital and ultimately passed away. And then, uh, you know, had to get to the funeral and all that. So, um, um, yeah, it's, uh, I had a few weeks off there where we didn't do any recording because I had, uh, real world stuff that was interfering with our, uh, our wow. off season plans. Look at you saying stuff that I say, <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> Cause that's exactly how it says. He's got some real world stuff going on in his life. And yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely, um, I can yeah. tell you if anybody out there, um, who's lost a parent, it's just, it's surreal. Um, you know, I've lost a brother too, but this one, it just, it's just weird. You know, I mean, um, you know, especially when you start reflecting back on everything that that my mom did as a single mom for me, so it's crazy. But uh, and and, um, and, and gonna... now, like we've lost like like twenty percent of our listenership, Nick. <laughs> uh, but there was something I know you said when you were at the visitation. You wanted to bring up about something your uh, your youngest son did that uh, he oh, that's, didn't fully appreciate that's... yet. That's true. So um, some of my family who was in from out of town, who, by the way, were delighted to actually get to meet uh, Mr. Nick Jacobs in flesh, the visitation. And we found um, out that's another half of our podcast. Listeners. Right, right, right. So we got to protect my family. Um, but uh, they also, because I don't know if you're a longtime listener, you might be aware I've made a joke or two about uh, Nick not liking hugs. Um so they kind of goaded my eight-year-old that when they saw Nick, um, Technically, he, it was, I'm pretty sure it was my mom that did it. Unfortunately. Yeah. Your mom. Yeah. She counts as, you know, she's one of our five listeners too, though. So, um, <laughs> she told me afterwards, uh, she's like, yeah, I told him, I said, you just go right up and hug him. And I was like, why yeah. did you do that mom? And so Colin did, um, my, my older son asked for a hug and was told you didn't want one so he respected your wishes i also respected your wishes my wife does not care about your boundaries and hugs you every time she sees you anyway um yeah. so that happened but yeah. um you didn't run screaming from the chapel so i appreciate that i mean i'm gonna be respectful <laughs> so yeah also what a very cool thing that happened and i'll i, I yeah, yeah, yeah. So the kind of thing that i that i've put out there necessarily but um since this is a chief's podcast i'll acknowledge it um, the Kansas City Chiefs actually sent uh, sent a, a bouquet of flowers to my mom's funeral, and uh, she would have just been so delighted. That's all she would have talked about for two days uh, if she had found out. So very kind of of the the Chiefs, and uh, you know I've gotten to know their PR staff, Brad G, uh, Cindy Ricker, Luke Shano, Ted Cruz, and, and those folks um, over the years because I've I've been around a time or two um, as you have, and so uh, you know I know my family. Um, it was a bright spot in an otherwise tough week. So, yeah, and they're in the PR staff where the Chiefs are very kind people, and they've all been they've all been together for over a decade now. So, you know, that's 
it's rare for a lot of organizations, PR firms to have been together that long. So they've, they've got a good, good system over there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely appreciated. So anyway, let's talk some football, man, because, uh, um, I, I feel like the last 12 podcasts before, um, you know, it, you know, through the end of June, we kept having to talk about the Orlando Brown situation. I guess what we got to talk about again today, Nick, you're going to make one podcast listener very upset by talking about right, it. He tweets right. us well, every time, man. But I mean, look, the, 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 uh, franchise tag deadline passed to sign a long-term extension. And so with the chiefs and Orlando Brown unable to reach a deal, I mean, he's going to play on the tag at some point. The question now is, does he show it? Does he sign the tag and show up Monday on veteran report day? Or does he hold out a little bit? Um, and, and look, I mean, Every day he holds out is a day he falls behind and he puts the Chiefs behind the eight ball. And, and if you look at their schedule, they they cannot afford to give up any kind of edge uh, when it comes to those sort of things w- with the, the daunting slate they face early in the season. Um, do you expect Orlando Brown to show up on Monday? And, and and how do you think that could his decision regarding that could impact his ultimate future with the team? Yeah, I mean, I'm personally, I'd be surprised if he shows up on Monday. I mean, that's that's just me. Because, <clears throat> I mean, there's – I understand it from the perspective of if Orlando doesn't show up, he he, he doesn't have to because until he signs the tender, like, he's not, pun, he's not punished for anything because he's not technically under contract. They just – they own the rights to him right now with the tag. So until he signs that, he's not going to get fined for anything. He's not technically – missing any contract obligations because he technically doesn't have a contract and, until that happens. So that's part of the reason he hasn't signed that yet. So, I mean, we'll obviously know when he's showing up to camp because it'll get tweeted out, uh, Orlando Brown has signed his tender. And then we'll be like, oh, okay, he's coming to camp now. Um, yeah. Personally, I get it if he stays out until the, they break camp from St. Joe just because of the fact that you don't – You there's going to be some risk if he, you know, if he gets injured up there at, at camp. But I mean, if he signs it, also, I mean, he's getting that fully guaranteed for the year—the sixteen point six million. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I mean, so it's kind of, you know, if you're if he's trying to max his value, he may want to wait around a little bit. Plus, most veterans don't like going up to training camp if they don't have to, especially when they're in dorms. Yeah. Um, but you know, the the quicker he signs that, the the quicker he guarantees that money for himself. And for his family, you know, for this entire year. So I, I get it whichever way he goes. I mean, here's the reality for, for, for most of us, $16 million would be life-changing money anyway. Right. Like, I mean, so I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm going to blow through that money. I'm just being honest. Oh, uh, well, I, I, I think I could make it last. Nick, I, I gotta be honest. I, I feel like I, I feel like I could get my kids through college and, and travel and do the things I want to. You and, both know how I, you and I both know how funny it is with how frivolous of a spender. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, have you touched any of that 16.6 million yet? Nope. I haven't done it. You're like, you're like I, I mean, other than getting a Lombardi trophy for any room, every room in the house. It's <laughs> actually a good idea. So now down to 16.5. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Patrick Mahomes was asked about the Orlando Brown contract situation. Both he and Andy Reid, um, when they got to camp, said, hey, we really haven't talked business with Orlando Brown. Andy Reid said, if he's here, great. If he's not, you know, we'll move on. And said that Joe Tooney could play left tackle if they want to. Um, I think, though, like one of the things that Patrick said was very telling, like like somebody asked if he 
was bothered that other quarterbacks had gotten more guaranteed money and broken his records, you know, for average annual value, things like that on his contract. And he's like, no, I mean, that's, that's meant to be broken, right? Like you sign a record and then you hope other record deal. And then you hope other guys come along and break that record. That's kind of the point. You want the salary cap to go up. It's almost like being a parent, right? Like you want the next generation to be better off than you were. So one, it was really cool to hear Patrick think about it in those terms. But he also very clearly said, like, look, I've got my money and my family is set like for generations now. Right. What I want is to have a team around me that can compete for championships because, you know, the financial security piece is settled. I mean, and he also mentioned like with the money he makes off the field, like that's no longer an issue for Patrick Mahomes. It is to a degree for Orlando Brown, potentially, you know, because he doesn't have anywhere near that same kind of wealth. Um. But I think I think the timing of when Orlando Brown saw, uh, you know rejoins the team will also speak a little bit to how much he has that mentality that Patrick talked about. If like, if he waits all the way until they break camp, um, and then he shows up and, and and you know can't get in shape for the first few games of the season and struggles during those that first half of the season when they're playing such a daunting task slate, then we'll know. Right. That the, his only focus was was him. His only focus was, you know, he wanted to, to, to reset the tackle market. Um, and, and this is all about him protecting himself and protecting his value long term, which he has every right to do. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not that's there's a value judgment there. He can do whatever he wants. I think if he shows up before that, it's a pretty clear signal to the Chiefs that, look, he wants to be in it for the long haul. Um, and if they would sweeten that deal a little bit, then they could probably get something done in the offseason and keep him around. Am I reading too much into that? Um, I think here's where I think negotiations were interesting. And as you saw on Twitter, um, for those that are listening and follow on Twitter, um, when you look at what I put out there in comparison, where there's Ronnie Stanley, um, Trent Williams, and those were two that I think are kind of where that contract was, was that he was hoping to be geared for. I think, the Chiefs helped him achieve being, te- by definition, they helped him achieve being the highest paid tackle in the NFL with the overalls of six years, $139 million. That was That was given to him. He was given the largest signing bonus of any tackle offered, that it was offered to him more than anybody else. Where, where it wasn't the same is in overall guarantees because of the reported number is $38 million. Stanley's at $64 million. And then David Bakhtiari is at 61, I think. Somewhere between 60, I think he's about 61. So the guarantees weren't the same in the overall life of the contract, especially in the first five years. Stanley got pretty much everything. Um, he got pretty much everything gu- guaranteed. Um, so I th- I personally think Orlando's wanting to top that. I genuinely believe Orlando wants to top that number, but then I think he also sure. wants to top the number of the top paid tackle in the NFL. Now here's where the problem comes in, and every I've seen I've heard a lot of people use this quote over and over again with Therese talking about the contract years undefeated. You're right, but for Orlando, it was one of the rare times it seemed like it got defeated because when you publicly admit you showed up over over the weight that potentially would be an ideal playing weight, and you don't necessarily look in shape for a portion of it, and he had the struggles that he did for at least half the season during a contract year, like you're not going to get top offer from, from that type of thing. Like in the chiefs weren't willing to pay because of that. So this is the year again, in another contract year 
where he's got to go out there and prove that for himself. And he's got to go out there and prove that he's worth every dollar that he's asking for. And that's going to take some elite level athletic ability to get that done. And then on top of that, um, the other part of it was like when, when you parted ways with your agent, when you did before you had the crucial leverage point of negotiations to where you can potentially move, um, use other teams to create, you know, negotiate with you on the, while you're on the franchise tag and try to work through that and get that number up to a certain level to force the chiefs to have to match those things. When you don't have an agent who's out there representing you to do that, like you've wasted that year's worth of leverage. And the fact that you didn't have an agent till I think June, uh, either late May or June, I want to say, I'm pretty sure it's in June, but either way, when you don't have an agent until that time, like that doesn't, that doesn't, that you just, you lost all leverage and in two different parts. So, I mean, those are concerning things to see and to kind of see a pattern there of not really thinking through how to get yourself that type of money and put yourself in the best position to leverage yourself for that money. Yeah. And for those not familiar with the way the contract was structured, the way the chiefs did it to get him the highest set, you know, the highest contract was they basically put a, a six year on that was just fluff and filler to get it. It would have been uh, forty-four know, an extra, million in years, right? An extra forty-four million or what? Yeah, and then so really, but, it was. A, I mean, really, it was like is, a five. Really, it was more of a five-year, ninety-four million dollar deal if you really look at the structure of it. But then the funny thing is too that that's what the Niners did with Trent Williams deal. Now the right. other thing I do the other to thing get him ten thousand dollars a year more than David Bakhtiari. Um, but I'm saying that final year was fluff because they gave him like right, 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 right. That final yeah. year. So they I mean, did the exact same thing, just, right? Just so that he got ten thousand dollars a year more now, than. Bakhtiari. Now there's two other things I've been thinking about all week, and I was teasing on Twitter that I was going to put on the podcast. One is I genuinely wonder if the offer that the Chiefs gave to or, uh, Orlando Brown, I wonder if that was one of their final offers to Trent Williams when they were in free agency, because I looked at where Trent's contract was versus what Orlando got offered. And I'm kind of like, I wonder how much that was in the ballpark of what they offered Trent, because it was very similar. The Niners just had 10 million more in guarantees and the overall deal. And I'm kind of like, and then I'm like, okay, so what was going on that previous year that they felt they couldn't cap out financially? And I'm like, Tyreek Hill, because they didn't know what they're going to have to pay Tyreek Hill next year. And they were probably gauging for that number. So with Tyreek Hill, uh, potentially need them realizing he's probably going to want a new contract and how that situation may unfold. They were probably saving money aside for that. So if they knew at the time they weren't having to save money for Tyreek, maybe they go a little bit higher on Trent Williams deal. And he's technically the highest paid in Kansas city. And we're not even talking about this Orlando Brown thing. Cause he's still looking for a new team or playing in Baltimore. So, you know, like, I mean, that's, I mean, that would have been an inception. That right would have there. been a pre- preferable situation, I think. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's just one of those rabbit holes I, I go down from time to I time. I mean, it, yeah, in hindsight, it would have been great if they would have just, you know, like matched whatever and, and you know, seen if Trent wanted to play in Kansas City more than San Francisco. You know what I mean? Well, um, and his Especially his given the way it played out. His relationship with Shannon, with the Shanahan's was also, if, if he wasn't playing for the Shanahan's out there, you know, with Kyle and having previously worked with, with right. Mike in Washington, if that, if that hadn't been the case, I think he... He would have been in Kansas City at some point before then, whether it was through the trade or if there was a trade opportunity or, you know, what, whenever he hit free agency. But I, I do want to say, um, I thought I thought the Chiefs front office played this right. Um, yes. I do. Um, I think that Orlando Brown is a, is a fringe top 10, probably top 15 left tackle in the game. 
Um, you know, like, like Patrick Mahomes said, I mean, when, when these new young guys sign their contracts, you know, it, they tend, you know, it escalates, right? Like, I mean, that's just the way that the league works. That's the way the salary cap functions, things like that. The next guy in line gets a little bit more than the previous guy. And, and every year you see the market reset at certain positions. Um, uh, you know, the chiefs have in the past gotten themselves into some bad deals. The Eric Berry deal, the Justin Houston deal, things like that, where, you know, they locked themselves into a deal that, that, you know, ended up hamstringing them and what they could do moving forward. And uh, I think the chiefs were careful not to do that in this case, because I don't think they feel comfortable betting four five, six years on Orlando Brown jr. Right now, because his play and, and his dedication, in the off season just hasn't, shown the chiefs that that he's he's worth that commitment um in my opinion um and and i i you know obviously i can't speak to whether you know brett veach would agree with that sentiment of it but clearly they weren't willing to break the bank um you know for orlando brown jr and uh and ultimately i think it was the right call and for Tyreek and Tyron Matthew, like, you know, well, and that's the thing, like if you're not going to do it for Tyreek Hill, who I think legitimately is one of the top right. three or four players at his position, then why are you going to do it for a guy who's maybe the, the 12th best left tackle? Right. And that's where I think what Jeff Chadia reported on Monday or Tuesday from NFL Network resonated to what you and I have said on this podcast before is just like. You, you can't set a different precedent. If like you're not willing to do it for Tyreek, then you can't do it for Orlando Brown yet until he's at that level that he needs to be and is put in that time because, I mean, Chris Jones put in the time, Patrick Mahomes put in the time, Travis Kelsey put in the time, and even Kelsey probably took a little bit off his deal and, and Patrick took a little bit off his deal for, you know, for Chris to get paid and for them to be able to surround themselves with a lot of teammates who could help them win, like we've talked about. So, I mean, it's, uh, it'll be interesting. Orlando Brown's going to tell people a lot of, a lot about himself with what he decides over and how he performs here over the next, next month and probably the entire year. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I mean, the two guys that, that I think if you're the chiefs, you would break the bank for, um, because they're unicorns are Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I mean, guys just, there aren't a lot of guys in the history of the NFL that can do what those two guys do at their position. Um, and those, but those are also the two, I would argue most self unselfish guys on the team or the most team team oriented guys. You know, like you said, Kelsey took a little bit less Patrick Mahomes reset the market, but he also gave the chiefs a lot of long-term stability and a lot of flexibility with how they approach that. Um, you know, and, and, and he didn't have to do that. I mean, he could have strong-armed him and, and he could have tried to be the Deshaun Watson, right? He could have tried to be the guy that forces a six year, $238 million fully guaranteed deal out of the chiefs. And I think the chiefs would have done it. I, I don't think they would have had a, I think they would have happily done it if that's what Patrick's demands were, but he's not. So, um, you know, look, every guy the, the Chiefs are, I guess my point is the Chiefs are fortunate to have guys like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey who are willing to put the team first. Not everybody does, and and nor should they be required to, right? Like it's a business, and certainly if one of them gets hurt and the team has an opt-out, the team will take it, right, and and, and run. And so they don't, uh, they don't owe any loyalty to the Chiefs because I, I don't think it, if the situation was on the other foot, the Chiefs would necessarily show a lot of loyalty, right? I mean, we've seen them cut players on big contracts before, but 
um, you know, the chiefs are very fortunate and we'll find out if Orlando wants to be part of that long-term or if he just wants to get his money and move on down the road. It's will certainly be interesting Todd, as the, uh, as the arrowhead turns. All right. So, um, all right, look, another thing, uh, you know, obviously with rookies reporting, look, it's going to be a week before we start seeing anything that actually matters up at camp other than does or when, when, and if does Orlando Brown, um, you know, show up, um, you know, because veterans don't report till Monday, then, you know, you've got a, a few days built in where they've got to, you know, get some conditioning and stuff like that per NFLPA rules before the pads come on and they start really looking forward to Arizona and kind of installing things they need to get installed and brushing up on things. But, you know, rookies did report today. It's a, it's a good good opportunity for them to get a jump start on things. So I kind of wanted to get and real quick. There's an update on Justin Ross. Um, he had had a foot surgery. Everybody knows. I think about the, the the neck issue that he had that a lot of teams wouldn't clear him medically. He'd also had foot surgery. Um, Andy Reid said today that he had that procedure repeated because the foot still didn't feel right. Um, if I were a betting man, I would bet that Justin Ross ends up on IR at some point, and we may not see him this year, uh, or it may be a while. Cause, um, Andy Reed said, it's going to be a, a long time till that, that foot's healed up. He also said that Rashad Fenton and, uh, Lucas Niang were going to start training camp on the physically unable to perform list, which is no surprise because Fenton's coming off the shoulder surgery and Niang's coming off the, the knee surgery. Both those guys are expected back sometime. I think Fenton might be back, you know, earlier in camp. Um, and Yang was never expected back until the end of camp anyway. Um, so no surprises there other than Justin Ross. Yeah, and, and the thing is the Chiefs can keep Ross on PUP. They can, they can keep him on PUP for um, for the foreseeable time. Like, I mean, since he right. didn't start since he didn't start the season on the active roster, like they don't they don't necessarily have to use IR. They can do PUP for all the training camp, then move it to more of a regular season thing. And that right. can probably take to week six, week eight type of thing. So, I mean, from a PUP, you know, it, it gives, it buys them time and we'll see where they go from there. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like, if they think it's going to be a long-term thing and he's not going to be able to get up to speed, you know, before the regular season, they could just stash him for a year on IR, um, give him a, a full, full year to get recovered, do whatever therapy he needs and see if he can make an impact next year. But I guess my point is I wouldn't expect Justin Ross to make a big impact this year. Um, but look, I mean, the, the chiefs had a big draft class, right? So who are, if you're, a, if you had to guess who are the guys that are going to make the biggest impact from this draft class, you got Trent McDuffie and George Karloff, this sky Moore, Brian cook, Joshua Williams. And then, you know, you've got some other guys down, down the depth chart, Isaiah Pacheco, Darian Kennard, um, you know, Jalen Watson and Nazi Johnson, who are maybe developmental type guys, maybe special teams type guys, but Who's the guy who, if the Chiefs are going to make a run at another Super Bowl, get back to a fifth AFC championship game for the fifth time, who's got to be the stud of this draft class? The, they're going to need to be uh, the two guys that took in the first round. That's going to be Carlotis and Trent McDuffie. That's why they drafted them in the positions they did, because they need somebody that can be a reliable corner to take away one of the receivers that's going to be trying to hang 40 on them every game. And then Carlotis on top of it, you need a reliable power rusher that can – hopefully bull rush back into the backfield there. And with him having worked with, uh, with Bobby down there um, at his academy that also works with Mahomes, like you, you're hoping he's able to get some flexibility and some fluidity and kind of be able to get 
little bit more limber to a certain regard where he didn't he wasn't as stiff as a or he won't be as stiff as a pass rusher as he kind of looked at times in college. So that's you're gonna need that because Chris Jones needs somebody that's reliable to him. And if if Frank Clark can with the weight that Frank Clark's lost, if he's able to potentially be a little bit quicker as well, like that's gonna help out that that rush. Cause the, the thing is Steve Spagnola's system is based on the pass rush. Like either they Either you, you either you defend people for seven seconds or you have a good pass rush. So the Chiefs invested in both to try to see if they can get that done. And then obviously I'm very intrigued to see, I know this isn't a rookie, but Joe Cohen, what he's able to do with that defensive line up there at camp and is he able to get different results than Brennan Daly did so that the, some of these guys can develop into the rushers that they need to with how much they've invested in that defensive line. Yeah, and that's a good point because I think uh, people forget um, – you know, that, that, that Joe Cullen is there and, and he's look, he is a very, very good defensive line coach. Um, he's had a track record of success. Um, and sometimes when you've got guys like a Mike Dane and like a Josh Kando, you know, guys like that who have yet to kind of come into their own in the league, a, a, a new voice um, and, and the motivation that comes with a new coach, right? Cause new guy comes in, you got to prove yourself all over again to your position coach. Sometimes that can, you know, can kind of unlock a guy. Um, I, I, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's Chris Jones, um, whatever you can get from Frank Clark and then George Karloftis are going to have to lead this pass rush. I agree. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, to me, I think, look, if he can get six, seven, eight sacks, I think that's a fine rookie season. Is that, is that enough from Karloftis? Um, and, and is it putting too much on him to, to think he can get to double digit sacks? Um, I, I don't know if it necessarily has to be a certain number. I, I'm more concerned about how many QB hits and pressures can he help get on the quarterback that rushes the throws to where they're not back there doing their taxes while they're surveying the defense and, you know, being able to throw it and make it rain wherever they want to. If they're not able – and also, you know, if you face a elusive guy like Joe Burrow, you're able to put him in the ground. And that's one time where I would like to see a certain sack number. But and I know Chris Jones is uh, with what he's been doing in social media all offseason. He's uh he's got that haunted in his head, man. Like he uh, he thinks about that a lot more than I do. I I would expect uh, I would not want to be the first quarterback Chris Jones gets a free run at this year because I think he is going to make certain that uh, that 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 guy's ribs will not will not forget number ninety five anytime soon. I bet he makes darn sure he gets that quarterback to the ground um, the first time he gets an opportunity. I don't so, disagree with Ky- that. Kyler Murray, you're on notice. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I could see. I mean, we, we may never hear this song <laughs> inside the NFL, but I'll be yeah, curious I hope to they see might what, come up. I'll be curious to see what Chris uh, says to Kyler if he's able to do that about his new contract. Yeah, no, exactly. Be like, hope it was worth the money, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I also though. Um, I think if you're looking down, because obviously the first round picks are, are the obvious ones, right? Like you, you, those top 30 guys, you, you expect those guys to come in and make an impact every year. Um, and, and unlike some years where the Chiefs either didn't have first round picks because of the, the Frank Clark and the Patrick Mahomes trades or the year after they won the Super Bowl, um, you know, they didn't always go need first, right? They went with best player available. Uh, but this year, it seems like they definitely did go need first. I mean, defensive end was obviously a huge need. It was a glaring need during the season last year. And then after losing Charvarius Ward to free agency to the Niners, cornerback was another uh, pretty big need to get some, some talent and some youth in that room. 
um, you know, after that though, um, so let's take those first guys out of the equation. I, I, the, the guy that I think, um, I mean, I, everybody's going to focus on Sky Moore, right? And, and I think that he has a chance to make to make an impact. And I think, but you know, there's a lot of other guys ahead of him: McCall Hardman Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who are proven. Travis Kelsey's still going to get his touches. I think you're going to see more more throws to the running backs at times this year to kind of loosen things up. I don't know how much they're going to be able to spread the ball around and get a guy like Sky Moore involved, you know, depending on how quickly he can pick up the system. The two guys that I look at and, and think could make the biggest difference are Brian Cook and sub packages filling in that Daniel Sorensen role, uh, you know, where they bring him on the blitz and things like that, but maybe he's not such a liability if he's asked to cover the tight end on a play. And then Joshua Williams, because even with, I mean, with Fenton out, even with Legarius Sneed and even with Trent McDuffie, assuming those two guys play well, you're going to need, you know, still a third, fourth corner there. And Joshua Williams, I think, you know, can he get up to speed coming from, you know, the level he played at, you know, um, and, and make the adjustment to the speed and physicality of the NFL quick enough? To me, those two guys will ha- say a lot about it. Brian Cook and Joshua Williams about how far, how, about how good this defense can ultimately become. Well, and I'll say they have the right uh, coach to be able to work with them and Dave Merritt. Merritt's going to do a phenomenal job developing those guys, and I think you'll really see them start to shine if they're going to this year, probably week eight, week nine. You'll start yeah. to see those guys kind of turn into – I mean, look what you, look, look what you do with Fenton. <laughs> Sneed, you know, early on. They they both developed a lot quicker than people anticipated. Um, the two guys that I'll be keeping my eye on, obviously I'm going to watch all of them, and you and I will be intrigued by all of them, but two that I'm going to be – Keeping tabs on very quickly is Isaiah Pacheco, a running back. So I know they're pretty, I know they're pretty, uh, pretty, pretty happy with the results that they've seen from him so far. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what type of touches he gets and what type of explosiveness he has versus what I watch on coaches' film. And then, uh, and then Kennard at right tackle there from Kentucky. Um, him and Andrew Wiley potentially working there at right tackle. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Kennard's able to do when the pads come on. If he's like another Trey Smith or what what he's able to do against some of those rushes because he'll be going up against Karloftis and probably Frank Clark uh, at certain points. And so that'll, and especially in those one-on-one drills, I'll be trying to watch that if I get an opportunity. So yeah, those, those are two guys that I think really are going to be underrated and potentially helping that offense to a certain extent if, uh, if everything goes right for them. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and obviously just the receiving group in general, I'm just very curious to kind of watch them and see how, how in sync are they with Patrick early? And did those those throws, you know, the throwing sessions down in Texas, how much did those pay off? Because those are that that's the number one thing in an offense is just everybody being able to kind of be on the same page. That takes time. Peyton Manning, you know, that was one of the benefits he had is he normally had just one person, maybe two people working in every couple of years. And it was him, Marvin, Reggie, you know, Marcus Pollard, Dallas Clark, and Edger and James there for a while. And they all just kind of worked together and built that system up and Patrick to a certain extent had that for a while, but now he's having to rebuild that. So it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of get that in sync and how long it takes in training camp to get to that point or in preseason, we'll get another gauge of it. And so just be those little stepping stone and progression points with that type of stuff. Yeah. It, it, look, honestly, I mean, with as many rookies as I think are going to have to play significant roles, um, I, you know, the chiefs, it could be a season similar to last year, right? Where, they come out of the gate. They're, you know, they're three and four. Cause 
I mean, they've got to, you know, in the opening stretch of the season, they've got to play at Arizona, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, and San Francisco. And then their, uh, their home games before the bye are the, the chargers, the Raiders and the bills. I mean, you know, they could be three and four or four and three at that point, but if everything clicks and they start hitting on all cylinders, you know, it, I mean, they got another tough stretch there in, in late November, early December when they're at the Ram or sorry, at the chargers home to the Rams and at the Bengals. But um, they've got five, what seem to be very winnable games to close the season, um, you know, and they've got a, a pretty good stretch, um, you know, a couple games, home games against Tennessee and Jacksonville coming out of the bye week um, that you probably feel pretty good about. Just, I know Tennessee housed the, the chiefs last year, but Andy Reed coming off the bye, um, the game being at Arrowhead, you know, all those kind of things. I, I mean, I think there's a chance that, you know, um, you see it kind of go like it did last year where it takes some time or similar to the, the Super Bowl season, right? When Spagnuolo would come in and the defense took some time to gel. And, um, and then finally the second half of the season is, is where they kick things into gear. Uh, that, that could be the case this year. I'll also say this though. I, I think Patrick Mahomes, like he can say what he wants about the contract. You know, he can make jokes about being happy about his, you know, he, he was asked about his mad rating dropping from 99 to 95 and now being the third highest rated quarterback, things like that. He is a guy who takes things personally, not in a malicious way, but he is a guy who takes things personally and, and, and puts that chip on his shoulder. And, and we've talked about it before, not being able to have a full off season last year with the foot injury and things like that. I think he had a lot of fun getting the guys together down in Texas and getting to know a new group of guys and getting them ready. Uh, but I think he's also highly motivated to go out and prove I am that guy, you know, folks, I know, Oh, everybody wanted to doubt me last year. Look at the numbers. They were still pretty darn good. You don't think I'm a generational talent. Watch me. I am that guy. I think that's his mindset coming into this season. It could be a special year for Patrick Mahomes in my opinion. And if it is, then all bets are off. Um, I'm just telling you right now from people I've chatted with, um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you like, I, if, if everything goes the way that, that everybody's thinking and hoping, um, I got a feeling he's heard everything that everybody said and all the oh, doubts yeah. that have been thrown at him. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I think he will have a chip on his shoulder at the same level he did in 2018 whenever he won the NFL MVP. And I, I think he wants to go out there and I think he wants to, shut people up permanently. Now that doesn't mean that's going to happen in terms of shutting people up permanently because everybody's going to find something to move the goalpost and find something new to rip apart. But I'm telling you, man, like that dude, I think that dude's uh he's going to want to, he's going to send some messages that he needs to. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, th I think this, you know, people always talk about what a competitor Michael Jordan was. And I think he, everybody talks about him as the ultimate competitor because he, yeah, he was that way with tiddlywinks and stuff like that, right? And he was always in your face in, in every the, aspect. The quarters thing that was on the documentary. <laughs> the yeah, I mean, yeah, no, he, yeah, I mean, there's lots of stories. I, I don't think because Patrick's persona is not quite as, like, uh, aggressive um, as, as Jordan's was, especially at times in his career, Patrick's more of a, uh, you know, um, you know, speaks, you know, he, you know, he's, he's very polished from a media perspective and he's just a nice guy, right? He's a nice guy. He's out there drinking beers, playing golf, you know, with Josh Allen and stuff like that. And, and he's very likable in that sense, but I think he's got the same killer mindset that, that the Jordans of the world, the Kobe's of the world, you know, the, the, the Tom Brady's of the world have when it comes to the work and when it comes to the game. 
Um, and I think you're going to see that this year. I really, truly do. Yeah, Todd, you touched on something there I'd like you to expand on. Though, what You said something about their, like, you know, Jordan and those type of guys. Like, what? So you're telling me they had to they had to put in that extra for that type of stuff? Yeah. You mean, yeah. Well, I mean, the extra effort they put in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's you know, th- there's all the stories about how competitive those guys were. But the other part of those stories is Kobe Bryant showing up early to the gym or Kobe Bryant staying late at the gym. Right. And guys finishing up something coming downstairs. They hear somebody shooting baskets or, you know, working on three pointers from the corner or something like that. And there's Kobe in, you know, in the corner still getting his work in long after everybody else has gone home. Um, and look, I think Patrick, I don't know whether he's ever going to have, I don't know if he's going to have the opportunity to win seven Super Bowls. I don't think anybody could, could predict that or forecast that. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to have the opportunity to get to that level. Um, but I think that he will do everything he can to put himself in that position consistently, you know, like the all time greats have. And look, circumstances may change, you know, injuries and other things in, in life can crop up. But if I were betting on whether, you know, uh, on one guy uh, in the league right now to, to put in that kind of effort and put together that kind of career, it would be Patrick Mahomes. Right. And like you, and like you said there, the, the perfect part of it is like what each of them are trying to do. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the podcast. Is they're trying to find Orlando Brown. Not necessarily him, but I'm saying they want to try to find 50 other guys that have the same level of mentality. Right. Because that's how, that's how you chase greatness. That's how you win championships as you do at that level, that intensity and you accept nothing less. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm saying like, that's, that's who Patrick's going to get along with. And those guys that want to work at that level and have that type of mindset and that mentality, that's that's what this roster needs. It's what this team needs. That's how they can potentially put themselves in position to compete for the amount of championships that everybody assumed they were going to get after the first, you know, after they made it to the second time around with the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that's where I think um, this year will also be telling a little bit because, you know, guys like Tyron Matthew are gone. I mean, that you know, they probably could have resigned him for the deal that he got in new Orleans and, and you know, he's, st- I think he's still, you know, is, is a, is a quality player in the NFL. Um, I think that they went and got a guy like Justin Reed because he's a little bit younger. He's a little bit hungrier, maybe has a little bit ups- uh, more upside because he's on still on the, on, he's still approaching the apex of his career. Maybe not, you know, on, on the first couple of years past his peak. Right. Um, It'll be interesting to see if, if things work out this year, I, I, I suspect that moving forward, that'll kind of be the chief's model, right? Is get ascending talent, um, you know, and, and, and cycle through those guys. Cause we had talked about in years past, like because of the COVID year, they had to keep guys around a little bit more because of the, the, you know, just needing to have some continuity with everything else that was in flux. But then last year we kind of talked about, Hey, you know, the need to get new blood in there at times to kind of keep that roster hungry, to keep the fire stoked and burning. Yeah. If things work out this year with, you know, with the Justin Reeds of the world, with the Lonnie Johnson's of the world, with some of those guys, uh, you know, I think that that'll send a clear signal to the chiefs that, that some of that roster churn isn't a bad thing, right? If, if you get guys that are, that are hungry and, and guys that keep that fire going and, and help it keep burning bright for the Travis Kelsey's and the Patrick Mahomes is on the roster, you know, um, uh, you know, I mean, that may be ultimately where the chiefs are headed 
as they try to make the most of, of the Patrick Mahomes era. Right. No. And that's, that's, that's the key part of it is them trying to find that balance to where they have the right amount of veteran leadership, the right guys that are, that they need to lead, but then also at the same time, having enough youthful exuberance on that roster that continues to keep that hunger for some of the veterans that may at times, you know, kind of think it's kind of just par for the course every year to where like, you know, there's some, uh, where there's some kids that's like, hey, so she's playing the Super Bowl again, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that level. Yeah, no, it'll it'll be wonderful if seven years from now everybody hates the Chiefs at the same way they hated the New New England Patriots. As as long as you're a Chiefs fan, um, which I assume you know the the four of you left are. Oh, Todd, I think I think this is a, a good time. You got anything else? Nah, not so far. I'm looking forward to getting up to. Yeah, you know, like I said, next next week won't be the most exciting week. I'm I'm looking forward though to getting up there in the coming weeks. And uh I know you're gonna get up there Monday, right? Um tomorrow, Saturday. Saturday, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah up there eleven or twelve days. I can't remember. Yeah, get up there and, and uh I they might let me off the chain, you know, like twice. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to getting up there and, and seeing some of it myself. Um, I know you are too. Um, and certainly we'll have more to talk about. Um, as we head toward, uh, uh, you know, toward the regular season, you know, we're still, you know, August 13th is the first preseason game. And then, uh, you know, it only gets more fun from there. Yeah. And then finally, I know it's not Chiefs related, but I know you and I are both excited to see uh, Buck O'Neill get inducted in the Hall of Fame this weekend. It's going to be big. Yeah, I got to meet him when I was an intern at Metro and just a phenomenal man, just a kind, gracious individual. And I always loved hearing his stories. I, I was very fortunate to uh, have covered some events that Buck O'Neill was at and, and met him on, on multiple occasions. Um, uh, one of the most genuinely kind people I've ever met. Um, you know, I, it can be a little hokey, but like I, I can remember at least three or four times like being in the room when he would lead us in renditions of the greatest thing in all the world is loving you. Right. Like, uh, whether I was at Negro leagues anniversary banquets or, or different stuff like that. Um, you know, some of the awards presentations they do throughout the year. Um, every time I was in the same room with Buck, I mean, his light just, I, so there's a, there's a band called Jack John, there's a singer called Jack Johnson. Um, and he sings like surf indie surf rock music. And if I put on his music, I can't help but be happy. Like I can know, I, I just, it's not possible for me to be mad if I'm listening to that music. It was never possible for me to be mad if I was in the same room with Buck. Just th- that, that any time you got to spend with him, like it kind of melted your cares away a little bit, just listening to him tell tales. And this is long overdue. It's a shame that this didn't happen during his lifetime. And I think the only person on the planet that loved Buck O'Neill that wasn't righteously angry that it didn't happen during his lifetime was Buck himself because, you know, um, as he said, he was always right on time. And, and in a weird way, I kind of love the fact that 16 years, almost 16 years after he died, um, we were telling all these Buck O'Neill stories again because he is going into the Hall of Fame. So in a strange way, it kind of extended his legacy another 16 years. And, uh, and to me, that's a wonderful thing, too. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be uh, rewarding to kind of watch and witness that on on tv uh when it's on sunday on mlb network i think 
Yeah, 12, 12.30 on MLB Network. And, um, you know, Bob Kinder, one, one of, uh, I believe one of Buck's nieces is going to be the one um, speaking on behalf of his induction. Um, you know, but if you ever get a chance to go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and, and Bob Kinder happens to be around, um, he's as close to uh, matching Buck's spirit, um, especially when it comes to, to that wonderful little museum they've got there. Bob's incredible. This is a wonderful moment for Bob, too. Um, because I know how close he and Buck were and the Negro leagues baseball museum was a passion project of his, I know this is a football podcast, but if you haven't had a chance to go to that museum or haven't taken the time to go to that museum, it's well worth your time. It's, it's a pretty cool little place, um, filled with a lot of history. Um, you know, and maybe you'll get lucky and Bob will be there to give you a little tour. Yeah. That's my favorite thing with Bob tells stories. It's just, he's such a good storyteller, man. Yeah. He has a way about it. A lot like Buck, exactly. And I've been fortunate enough to actually have three guided tours through the museum uh, from Bob Kendrick. So it's, uh, you know, it, he's like I said, he's he's got that same gift for uh, uh, for telling stories that, that Buck had. You know, it puts his own sauce on it, of course, because this is Kansas City. Everybody's got to have their own sauce. Right. But uh, uh, but, you know, I, I'm happy that Bob will be up there and get to participate in this moment. Yeah, I agree. All right. That's all I got. Um, do you have anything else now? No, no, I gotta get, I gotta get ready. I gotta get hydrated and her there might be a little, a little hot up there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 110, um, <laughs> degree heat index Saturday. So, uh, dude, I was, I was sweating when I was uh, but, last night when I was at Lee summit high school for, uh, yeah. Josh Manning's. Oh, I believe he was going to Missouri. Dude, you should have seen me, man. Look like I just got out of a swimming <laughs> pool. All right. I got it. So we know, we know your, your issues with hugs, right? Okay. Patrick Mahomes succumbs to heat exhaustion. Would you go give him CPR though? Yes, but I would ask, I would ask uh, Rick if he, Rick would probably, Rick Burker would probably already be doing it. But in this hypothetical situation, um, I would see if anybody had one of those, one of those mouth things that you just, you press. Well, actually, 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 the recommendation now is not to do the breathing. You don't do the mouth to the mouth, you just do the chest compressions. So, but it's, you know, Outstanding. This is music to my ears, sir. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you for, for, uh, for spreading my awareness. So I just, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm always trying to find out where is the line for Nick touching people or being touched, right? Well, Todd, I think we're about out of time. So, all right. Well, so no, it's good to know that you would, you would save a life. That's good to know. Or at least you would save Patrick's life. No, um, I would save a life. I mean, it doesn't so for the, we'll, we'll ask. We'll ask on the next podcast whether you would whether you'd perform CPR on me or not. <laughs> you already know that answer. Stop, dude. All right. Um, well, that was that was for Trudy. Hi, Trudy. Uh, it was good to see you. Um, we'll have to do lunch sometime under better circumstances. You're gonna um, have to tell people who that is. People don't know that. People may not know that. That's my mom, bro. She, well, yeah. She she uh no she was with the title company when I bought my home. <laughs> All right, this has gone off the rails at this point, sir. I, I did pretty well, though. I, I waited a long time to derail things. So, um, Proud of you. Thank you. All right, we'll be back to talk more about training camp and look forward to them being in pads. Until then, take care, kids. <laughs>